chapter 1. Sunday morning we are in a series entitled, it's a summer series entitled Encouragements from 2 Corinthians. And we are still in uh, chapter 1 and uh, we'll make great leaps as we uh, move through the book. But chapter 1 we're kind of making our way through all of it. And uh, we'll start reading in verse 12 though our uh, main focus will be verses 15 through uh, 20. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we were, are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now, I trust you uh, will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, uh, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and to be helped by you on my way to Judea. And therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly, or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, uh, and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this living book called the Bible. We thank you that it has the final say in all things in life. And we thank you that we need never turn to it on our own to try and figure it out. The depths of it would escape us completely if that were the case. Uh, even uh, the shallows would. And we thank you that as we turn to it, we turn to it with you, your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would speak to us from it, speak into our lives, speak into our Christian uh, life and experience with you, relationship with you today, we pray. And we ask for that work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The local situation that Paul was dealing with concerning the church at Corinth, it was a church that he had planted and a church that he had invested 18 months of his very, very uh, finite and very, very precious uh, ministry portion of his life in helping to establish that church. But there was a group within that uh, church that was openly hostile toward the Apostle Paul. Not everyone, but a significant group. And uh, all attempts on his part to try and relate to them in a loving way was always met with hostility, it was met with rejection, and uh, their influence and, uh, uh, and effectiveness in kind of putting that Paul down in front of the rest of the congregation and trying to pull them away from a loyalty to Paul 
in terms of his godly position and his godly influence upon uh, the church uh, was very, very strong and very, very dangerous. Uh, shockingly, in terms of their effectiveness in this regard, the Apostle Paul would write later in his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, and I will very gladly uh, spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible uh, as far as I'm concerned. And unfortunately, there are those Christians who are so carnal uh, that when love is shown to them, uh, they uh, find themselves almost incapable, though it's a choice entirely of theirs, uh, incapable of returning that love in uh, kind. Somehow they view it as a weakness in others, and because they do, and, and this particular group in the church at Corinth uh, they're doomed because in rejecting spiritual leadership or rejecting uh, a, a loving leadership, then you're only going to be left to be led by abusive leaders, which for some reason this group of people respect, this group of people uh, prefer. Paul will uh, write again later in the letter to this uh, group of people, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. He said, for you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage or devours you or one takes from you or one exalts himself if one strikes you on the face. To our shame I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone uh, is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. And here in this part of the letter, the Apostle Paul uh, addresses their attack upon his integrity there in verses 12 uh, through 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, a previous letter that Paul had written uh, to the church, Paul had communicated that he intended to visit them as he made his way uh, through their region in the future, and uh, with the hope that he would be able to even spend a significant block of time with them, spend the winter uh, with them, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. And this was Paul's sincere desire in terms of his plans that he had made for the next time that he would be able to interact in this way with the church at, uh, at, at Corinth. That was his plan. But knowing that things uh, could change in his life, his life being very Holy Spirit, uh, directed. He had uh, attached a qualification to that plan that he had communicated to them, and the qualification was uh, a significant one, if the Lord permits. He followed that passage in verse uh, chapter uh, 16 of 1 Corinthians, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. And it turned out that all of the plans that he had to visit them in, in the way that he had planned that it would occur, all of those plans simply went out 
the, the window, and he was unable to come to Corinth exactly as he had, had, had hoped, which those that didn't like Paul and they didn't like his leadership in Corinth, they grasped that as an opportunity to slander Paul and to discredit him and to infect other people within the church concerning their suspicions related to Paul, that he was a man who doesn't keep his word, uh, and you can't trust him, you can't depend on him. He's a man who says yes to your face when he really means no uh, within his heart. And this was, of course, a terrible, terrible slander to bring against the apostle Paul. And they deliberately chose it to make a mountain out of a molehill, and it was a non-existent molehill at that because they knew concerning uh, any minister of God uh, that a minister of God rises and falls on the basis uh, of their integrity, and, uh, and not just upon their own personal integrity, but upon the f uh, whether a congregation or a group of people uh, believe uh, that they are uh, a man or woman of uh, integrity. And so, uh, it's very, very effective in getting rid of even a, a, a minister with integrity if you can convince enough people that he isn't, uh, even if he is. And this was the methodology, this was the effort that these, uh, these that dislike Paul uh, found themselves in the middle of in trying to attack him. Paul proceeded to uh, address these false accusations because he recognizes the devil's, uh, the danger related to this kind of thing in the hands of the devil. The devil is a slander. It's one of his names, by the way. And, uh, and so he recognized the danger of this kind of slander to uh, affect other people. And so he responded to these false accusations in verses 12 through 14. And in verse 12, he made it known to them that in all of his communications to them, he had been absolutely sincere. Uh, he had spoken to them and communicated with complete integrity. Uh, he had said what he meant, and he had meant what he said. Uh, and then in verse 13, he let them know that he was writing this letter to them uh, in the same spirit. He was saying what he meant. He meant what he, he was saying. Uh, there was no game going on in terms of his, his communication uh, to them, no cryptic, cryptic meanings at all. And then he finally expressed his trust uh, in uh, that some, at least in part at Corinth, understood that this was simply a plan that didn't come through. And we all understand that in, in our lives. And he further communicated to them that he was confident in the day of the Lord that one day he would stand before God at the judgment seat of God, the bema seat, the reward seat of Christ, and, uh, and that he would be declared innocent of any accusations of this kind, whether made by the Corinthians or anyone else and that the members of the church of Corinth would not be ashamed that he had been their founding pastor or their pastor on that, on that day, but they would uh, boast in him, uh, so to say, and, and uh, be thrilled to have uh, known him. And he also rejoiced in the fact that uh, uh, he would be joining them and see their faces at that judgment seat uh, of Christ, and he was communicating that his conscience was completely clear before God on, on what it was that he was being accused of. 
Paul then in verses 15 through 17, he explains his uh, failure to come to them as he intended. In verse 15, he let them know that he had intended to come a second time exactly as he had said to them. Uh, In verse 16, he lets them know that, in fact, not only did he intend to come to them, but he had intended to come to them twice. And, uh, and that was his, uh, his uh, plans. Far from trying to avoid visiting them, that was his desire to see them twice. And then verse 17, as it turned out, Paul uh, didn't fail to visit them on a, on a whim or a lack of integrity on, on his part uh, as he was being uh, accused here. Uh, or a a, a concern for his comfort. I'd be too inconvenient to go to Corinth, and it'd be easier to break my word to them uh, than than to, you know, the difficulty of the journey. Fact of the matter is, is that he journeyed from Ephesus to Troas, and, uh, and when he didn't find Titus there, as we read in the book of Acts, he went directly to Macedonia, And as a result of what he felt necessary to do under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he had to uh, omit Corinth from his itinerary. And so he didn't plan things lightly or say things lightly. So as they were saying, with just kind of a fickleness and uh, no intention of doing it, he tells them he didn't plan uh, according to the flesh that that he planned to do something and then out of some kind of selfishness, it was more convenient for him not to keep the plan, and so he didn't. And all of that then brings us to one of the most beloved passages in the Bible concerning the faithfulness of God uh, to his promises to us uh, as his people in verses 18 through 20. Paul then uh, uh, used this a local situation as an opportunity now to address uh, this very thing, because Paul rightly recognized that the, the greatest danger associated with their slander of, of him, the greatest damage that could be done was not to his reputation. He wasn't concerned about that, but to God's reputation and to the message that God had called him to deliver in the city of of Corinth, that they might be able to brand him as uh, someone who doesn't keep his word, someone who doesn't tell the truth, and then declare that, well, if that's the way that he is in his private life, then how can we trust anything that he would say from the pulpit or anything that he's declared to us related to Uh, God's Word. And so the greatest danger wasn't that people would begin to doubt Paul's uh, truth, uh, and uh, but doubt what he, uh, concerning himself on a personal level, but what he had spoken concerning God. Any attack upon God's integrity, any thought or accusation uh, that uh, he Uh, makes his uh, promises lightly without the intention of keeping them. Uh, This was the attack that that was potential here, that God is a God who talks a great game. He makes a lot of promises, but then when he takes the field and the nitty-gritty of life, uh, he fails to keep those promises. 
And so Paul did what we would expect him to do, and that is he takes a hard 90 at verse 17 and stops talking about himself, and he starts talking about uh, uh, God and uh, talking about his reputation. And he addressed uh, any such thought or accusation uh, concerning casting doubt upon the faithfulness of God, and he does it with absolute clarity in verse 18 when he says, but God is uh, faithful. And I think the NIV uh, puts it best. Uh, the, verse 18 is translated, uh, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you, that is what he delivered to them uh, the message of, uh, of uh, the gospel and the message of God's teaching. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. And then he argues from the greater to the lesser, arguing from God uh, to himself. In other words, uh, that the message of the gospel in the Bible that he had delivered to them was to be differentiated from any personal comments that he had made to them about his travels in the same way that a sermon delivered to a congregation based upon the Word of God has to be differentiated in the mind of a congregation uh, from the personal comments that a pastor might make uh, about his travel plans or about where he's going uh, to uh, lunch, his plans, uh, personal plans outside uh, of the pulpit. And then in verse 19, Paul makes this beautiful statement about Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ was not yes and no, but in him was yes. When we preached and taught you concerning Jesus, we did not uh, preach Jesus lightly. We, uh, we did not preach him as a yes or no, but we preached him as a yes. Jesus is not a no, he is not a maybe, but he is a yes. And when the Apostle Paul describes, and he, and he rarely does in this quite the way that he does here, when he describes Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he is saying that everything about him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as Savior is a yes. Everything about him as the Son of God, his, de uh, his deity, his equality with the Father and with the Holy Spirit is a yes. He is God's yes concerning salvation. He is God's yes concerning the love of God. He is God's yes concerning the nature of God. He is God's yes concerning the truth about God. He is God's yes concerning the truth of God. He is God's yes to every prophecy concerning Messiah in the Old Testament. He is God's yes to the entirety of the Old Testament. He is God's yes concerning uh, eternity in our home in heaven. He is God's yes in everything he taught and in everything he did. And then just when you think that Paul's description of the faithfulness of God cannot be excelled uh, by his description of Jesus as yes, he does it when he goes on in verse 20 and he describes Jesus as both yes and amen. 
And this is absolutely mind-blowing. First, he says, for all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes. And so again, that, that produces an observation. It raises a question. And the observation is this. The observation, uh, there is something that God always responds to in life with a yes. And the question then that's raised by that is, what then is that something? And the Apostle Paul answers that question, all of the promises concerning him. That is, every single promise that God has made to us as Christians in him, in Jesus Christ, every promise made to us as his body. They are a yes. And then here is the mind blower, uh, even more so. Paul goes beyond that here in adding, for all of the promises of God in Jesus are also amen. In other words, they are so surely a yes that you can say amen to every single one of them. And you can say amen to every promise of God even before that promise of God is kept by God because the yes is always unfailingly coming. Now, uh, the word amen is more than a word that Christians just tag on to the end uh, of, of a prayer. That we, we close our prayers uh, to God uh, with the word amen because it means something. And it's, it, it's important that, uh, that amen at the end of our prayers never becomes kind of a mindless attachment uh, to our prayers. The word amen means so be it, or it means that's the truth. And our word amen that we use, it's derived from uh, the Hebrew word amen, which means certainty, it means truth. And so to say amen is to close our prayers with an expression of faith that all that we have prayed in Jesus' name, that is, all that we have prayed that is consistent with his nature, that is consistent with his promises, is absolutely true, and it's going to come to pass. It is to declare, uh, publicly and openly declare, uh, our confidence in the faithfulness uh, of God. Now, the best that you and I can do uh, is say amen uh, in response to some promise uh, from God that somebody speaks in our hearing. So somebody speaks of a promise of God and it thrills our hearts or the Spirit bears witness to it and we say amen uh, after hearing it. But Jesus here, Paul is saying, is uniquely qualified as the Son of God and Christ to say amen before making a promise. And the entire New Testament, only Jesus uses amen at the beginning of a sentence or the beginning of a promise. In other words, his promises are so sure that he can say amen to them 
by way of introducing them. And we might ask ourselves, well, when did Jesus say amen at the beginning of a sentence or at the beginning of uh, giving one of his promises to us um, in, in the course of his public ministry? Every time Jesus introduced a sentence with, for instance, verily, verily, in the King James, or most assuredly, in the New King James, uh, he did so. That verily, verily is literally amen, amen. And it is derived from the same Hebrew uh, word. In other words, Jesus' amen is not dependent upon our amen. His amen concerning his promise comes long before our amen, not dependent upon ours uh, uh, at all. He's going to keep his promise regardless, and this is true of all of his promises, not just the ones he began with verily, uh, verily. With this in mind, uh, let me uh, read you a handful of those verily, verily passages and promises uh, in, in the Bible to kind of prime the pump of our remembrance. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, that is Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 5, verse 24, verily, verily, I say to you, that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death uh, into life. John chapter 8, verse 51, verily, verily, I say to you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And then John chapter 16, verse 19, as Jesus spoke to the disciples concerning his uh, resurrection and the truthfulness of it, the fact of it. Now, Jesus knew uh, that they were desirous to ask him, and so he said to them, do you inquire among yourselves of uh, that I said a little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say to you, that you shall weep and lament, but the, word, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy, speaking of the third day of his resurrection. Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find uh, watching. Verily I say to you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Significantly, all four of the Gospels close with the same word, and it is the word amen. So be it. Uh, that's the truth. And then to realize that we are told in the Revelation that not only is what Jesus says, amen, absolutely true and sure, but that he is himself, amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and, the angel, uh, and to the angel of the church of La uh, the Laodiceans write, uh, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus speaking and speaking concerning himself. 
The promises of God, they're not empty pages, uh, uh, empty words on a page, but the uh, entirety of the Godhead uh, rises up in order to keep every single one of those promises. The entirety of the Godhead is committed to keeping these promises within our lives. And thus these promises, as Paul wants us to know, are as sure as Jesus himself. And they're so sure that we can read any promise of God and say amen to it, knowing that they will come to pass in our lives. And then Paul concludes this thought by declaring in verse 20, uh, to the glory of God uh, through us. That is, our lives bring glory to God when we say amen to his promises, when we treat them uh, like truth, when we treat them not as yes and no, when we treat them not as a maybe, but when we treat them as yes and we treat them uh, as uh, amen. It brings him glory when we do that. And never more importantly uh, than when we share these truths with others and these promises uh, that God gives related to salvation and so forth, all of these promises, we share them then God's offer of salvation with others, and then they come to know Christ and then glorify him as well. And so thus far in our series, we've celebrated our God as the God of all comfort, celebrated God as our deliverer, and today we celebrate his faithfulness, his faithfulness to his promises uh, in our lives. Of, of God's faithfulness to his word and his promises, uh, we're told elsewhere in the scriptures. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Just let it wash uh, over our spirit here today. Uh, Moses wrote, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he, uh, uh, has he said, and will he not do, or has he spoken, and he uh, will not make it good, as, as Moses uh, wrote concerning the interaction of Balaam with Balak. Here's a famous one, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper and the thing for which I sent it. We might interpret that uh, as saying, uh, if you think that I'm failing you presently uh, due to your own uh, expectations and your own definitions uh, of, of, of uh, good, it's only because I intend to uh, exceed your expectations and your definitions uh, of, 
of good. Jesus, of course, in this regard, famously declared, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. During the ministry of Jeremiah to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, God posed a question to the children of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4. He said, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all of the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? He poses a question to the children of Israel, and he asks them, when have I ever failed you? Or when have I ever failed in a promise that I have made to you? Uh, it, it, uh, do you know what uh, the nation of Israel's response to uh, God's question uh, was as it's found there in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2? The answer was silence. It was silence. They couldn't give a single uh, a, a example of a single failure that he had made uh, concerning the promises that he had made to them. And I uh, would uh, have to confess and, and confess readily this morning, publicly, that God has never failed to keep a single promise uh, to me in my life. And uh, there were times when it looked iffy uh, for a while times when I thought that uh, his promise uh, would not have the final say in some situation, or when I thought that my life would be the first life in human history to prove a promise of God wrong. I mean, of all of the dumb luck, I had to be the one that uh, that was going to uh, happen with in, in my life. But almost always, uh, when I felt like that, it was because I either misunderstood the promise and so I brought a false expectation to the promise, or I had assumed that because he hadn't kept his promise yet, that it meant that he wasn't going to. I spoke too soon, and I forgot, as the old saying goes, that his delays are not his denials. And I sometimes forget that there is a very important timing that is very important to God in the keeping of his promises to us in, in our lives and involved in his will for our lives. And you think about how full the Bible is of these improbable fulfillments of God's promises in people's lives. I mean, some of us might sit here this morning and we look at it and say, I know the promises of God related to my situation. That's completely improbable. There's no way he can be faithful to his promise and what it is that I find myself uh, in, in the, the middle of. And yet the Bible is full of this uh, kind of thing and people who uh, uh, found themselves in exactly that kind of place. I think about Joseph's family bowing down, father and mother and, uh, and uh, all of the boys as God had shown Joseph in the dreams, the improbability of the, his entire family bowing down before him, and yet ultimately it happened. 
God's promise to make a great nation of Abraham. God's promise to give Abraham uh, and Sarah a child. Moses, the promise that he would be a deliverer of the children of Israel uh, from Egypt. The promise that was given to David when he was just a very uh, uh, young youth that he would become the next king uh, of Israel. The promise of Israel, even in our own day, one day becoming a nation again. Uh, No uh, people have been separated from a homeland for 2,000 years and maintained their cultural and ethnic uh, uh, identity to then return to their own land after 2,000 years. It's a miracle of the Jews, and it's a miracle of the fulfillment of God's promise. And on and on and on we could go to speak of all the promises that God's people had to look at in the moment as a yea and amen, and to do so for a very long time before it actually came to pass before their eyes and before our own eyes. God spoke in this regard to the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In other words, it will not be late. And each of us, may each of us take uh, a little bit of time today just to think back upon all of the fulfilled promises of God in our lives that took so long in coming that looked like they would never come to pass related to our lives. And then when they did come to pass, we realized that the timing could not have been more perfect and that it was so vital that he delayed in order for the timing to be perfect, in order for the circumstances to have been prepared for us and for us to have been properly prepared for the circumstances. And to stop and spend some time today and to think about those times in our lives and to give God thanks and praise for how amazingly faithful He has been to us. And as needed here this morning, if you're waiting for the amen to some promise of God in His Word this morning, then you say amen to that yes. Say amen to that promise that God has said amen to before ever giving it to you because it is the truth and it will ultimately be proven true in your life. And that amen is important because it helps us to maintain perspective and hope in the middle of situations that we look at and we realize it is only God's Word and His amen that can deliver me from this situation. And so God says, add your amen to the yes, to the promise, so that you maintain hope and perspective because the amen is coming uh, related uh, to it. There is a 
as we look, have been kind of in this series now of, of three things, talking about God as the God of all comfort, talking about God as our deliverer, and then talking about God's faithfulness. And God's faithfulness is a subject that we're very familiar with. We've sung it, uh, ev- about it even today in, in the worship set. But there's, there's a problem with truths that become very, very familiar to us. And, uh, and I remember uh, Bill McDonald one time talking about the, f- uh, 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 the, uh, the issue of delivering us from the curse of familiarity. And I'll speak of it even myself. And there is this curse of familiarity. There's a, there's a sense in which I, I wish every time I read the Bible, I was reading it for the first time. Because so many of these truths, they, they lose a sense of, uh, uh, I lose a sense of awe over them because God has been them in my life so unfailingly. And so this is one of those subjects in terms of his, his faithfulness and to just stop and to give him praise and to give him glory and thankfulness for this thing that we have become so wonderfully accustomed to. Someone has said that we don't need uh, any new truths in Christianity, uh, and certainly we don't. And that's the search that's always going on for the new thing that nobody's heard before, and then to build the church big based upon that. We don't need any new truths in Christianity, the saying goes, but we need deeper experiences in the old truths. And that's the fact of the matter, is to keep going deeper in our understanding and in our appreciation of the truths that we already know and one of those truths is the faithfulness of God. It is a miracle and an endless miracle that God performs in each one of our lives. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. And Father, I pray and we pray together and ask that under the direction of your Holy Spirit that you would breathe hope, uh, breathe your yea and amen, Lord, into every situation, everything that looks hopeless, everything that looks like is so deep and so difficult in people's lives that It looks like they're going to be the first person in human history where it becomes a violation of your promises. And we pray that you'd give people the grace, our brothers and sisters, to say amen to your yea in their lives today. And Lord, we pray for each one of our lives as your children. We have grown so accustomed to your faithfulness that we can almost hardly notice it uh, for long days and weeks and months on end. And Lord, would you return a fresh awe and a fresh sense of worship and gratitude within our hearts for your incredible faithfulness to your word in our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness. 
We thank you that you're a faithful God. And we thank you that you're our God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.